we've come up through this system over so many years of what the church is and what it looks like. We haven't understood that it's not the church that God is after, it's the ecclesia that God is after. We can turn this current present truth that is coming to us in such a powerful way back into what went before. Religion, the silent killer. And I think when David brought that up, uh, that came to my attention. That's one of the things that religion has done. And I, I love the term he uses, a silent killer. It has done, a, unfortunately, a masterful job of just taking the breath out of believers. They didn't go far enough into the place to where Jesus is Lord. If you notice, most of these religions, they point to Jesus, but Jesus never points back to any religion. The nature of how the devil steals things, because often we, we hear the statement, you know, take back what the enemy has stolen from you. It has a despotic leadership and a sycophantic followership, and those extremes will become absolutely contrary and alien to the patterns of God. I usually joke that most Africans did not receive Jesus the Christ, they received the Jesus, the white witch doctor. Hello and welcome to Unlock the Kingdom Within You. This podcast explores the profound truth about what it means to be born into the kingdom, not a religion. On this podcast, we challenge the religious and denominational norms which shackle us from expressing the liberty of Christ by exploring the kingdom, the ecclesia and citizenship. If you're born into the kingdom but lost in religion, then this channel is just for you. So thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe. And I think, I think you, you've raised a really good point there because I think fundamentally it highlights the fact that without the concept of nationhood, we can't necessarily um, really come into that place of being unified. Um, there's got to be a, a, a framework of, that's revelatory, that has built concepts that enables us to join in such a way that is truly what we would call the body of Christ under one head. Um, and I, and I, I think, and I think, can I just, I just want to, I'm going to bring in, don't worry, Ivan, I'm going to bring you in. Uh, um, I think, I think one of the things to pick up on here is why it's so important that we understand the term called out as, as being a migration from denomination into nationhood. Um, it can't just be a label of a new organization, which we call the ecclesia. It has to represent this transition where people understand they're moving from something that is religious and is psychologically limiting to something that is um, of a, na a national orientation that is, has liberty. So I'm just going to, Ivan, over to you. I just wanted to add that in and, and get your feedback on it. Yeah, I, I would add that not only has the enemy brought division, as David has clearly articulated, uh, to the body, but now he also brings the desire to be one and um i don't know how many many of our listeners and many of us on this panel have been involved in uh some form of um gatherings with different churches whether i was involved heavily in the march for jesus here in the united states i was involved in i've been involved in local um, uh, different churches saying, hey, we want to come together and we want to march in the streets for justice. We want to exchange pulpits. We want to, and there's all these efforts by the church as we know it to come together to try to be one, as John 17 says. And that's impossible because um, there are so many things that separate us 
um, we'll, we're, we'll never come to a place of unity and oneness as Jesus, our King, desires. And that's because we've come up through this system over so many years of what the church is and what it looks like. And we, we haven't understood that it's not the church that God is after, it's the ecclesia that God is after. I, and I think, uh, before I hand over to Tim on this, I think I, I really just want to stress the importance that um, what ecclesia, when we'll, we're going to get into that, but the, this context of ecclesia meaning a transition. Um, and that transition is both spiritual in essence, is that, as, as David mentioned, that realization that we're a nation. And then there's that psychological, and in some cases, a physical adjustment and change that comes in with that. Um, because I think <clears throat> without understanding that, then what ends up happening is we can turn this current present truth that is coming to us in such a powerful way back into what went before. <clears throat> so there have to be things that we're going to pick up on that. Tim, I want to bring you in because I know you, you've got something crucial to say on that. And then after yes. that, I'll also bring in um, Palumi and then also Kelvin, who has also joined us as well. So Tim, over to you. Right. Actually, I was uh, going to uh, point towards Kelvin because he and I had a conversation a while back, uh, and I think we heard it once on the GKC about religion, the silent killer. And I think when David brought that up, uh, that came to my attention. That's one of the things that religion has done. And, and I, I love the term he used, it's a silent killer. It has uh, done, a, unfortunately, a masterful job of just taking the breath out of believers you know and they don't even know they're suffocating you know so I, I i don't know if kelvin wants to to jump in on that uh with his cool glasses and cap this morning <laughs> so. no problem i'm pulling out all the stops to stay awake uh <laughs> but um really we're, we're dealing with a very serious issue here uh the issue with religion and this issue of denomination which really is maintenance ministry at its core. And I can assure you, somewhere in the denomination or somewhere inside of a religion, there is a king, mm. and he's not Jesus. Mm. And so, um, so we, we, we bring this thing to men's ministry, and it's maintained. And so um, you mentioned, Fred, about this migration. Uh, when I grew up in denomination, it wasn't a moving kind of a thing. It was a settling and tabernacling kind of a thing among our own. And then we just, you know, and many people inside of that context don't grow spiritually. They're just faithful to the system that remains, that keeps the status quo. So that's why I call religion a silent killer because number one, it wasn't authorized by God. And I really believe that many religions uh, at some point started with the legitimate word of God, but man hijacked it and didn't get the full revelation of what he was trying to describe to them. Because in many religions, you have a lot of good things, but they didn't go far enough into the place to where Jesus is Lord. If you notice, most of these religions, they, uh, they point to Jesus, but Jesus never points back to any religion. So yeah, when we look at this issue of religion and we look at the denomination and the harm it has done to the development of people for life, not just for church, but for life, uh, it is woefully inadequate. And, and just to come in on that, I'm going to hand over to Blumi on this. Um, one of the things for me that certainly, and I know we all, this is the interesting thing, we all have had to take this personal journey and we won't, none of us would say we've arrived, okay? We're in transition. Um, 
But what's really interesting um, is the fact that you don't often know how deep and embedded the religiosity and the denominationalism is, 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 is actually embedded in your system until you start to grapple with the truth about nationhood. It's still you have this to begin to grapple with the truth about the ecclesia and citizenship. So you, we can all say here, I think clearly on this platform that we've worn the t-shirt, we've got the cap um, for that, but we're still in this process of transition and it's based on the fact that we are grappling with these truths and as a result, seeking to see uh, that wrestle, as it were, that Jacob wrestle um, is helping us to maybe walk away with a limp at the end of it, but it's a limp going in the right direction. That's what I, that's what I often say. <laughs> that's the most important thing. So, Pete, what do you think about that? Yeah, I just wanted to say something on, um, on denominationalism, <laughs> um, which was really just understanding um, the nature of, of how the devil um, steals things. Because often we, we hear the statement, you know, take back what the, what the enemy has stolen from you. But we underestimate that the devil is an expert thief, <laughs> yeah. right? And an expert thief doesn't just take something from you, take your bag and you saw him running away. What an expert thief does is he takes something and then replaces it. Like, uh, you know, like in those movies where in the, you go to the museum and yeah. they take an ornament and they leave something there so that nobody knows it's been taken. A replica. Yeah. So that's what denominations is, really, is the sense of nationhood stolen from God's people. And so they settle for this idol that kind of looks like similar. So similar. Kind of. it's, it's kind of, but yeah. it's completely nuts. <laughs> you know, um, uh, it's like, um, I try to think of another example, like, um, even like membership, for example, to replace citizenship. Yeah. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Um, uh, what else? Well, some, Church some, to, re to replace government. Some, some, people, some people would argue that when you're having this conversation about membership and citizenship, some people would argue, well, on the, pre on the premise that we are members of the body of Christ. Mm. Yeah. And so membership is really important. I said, yeah, but when you talk about membership, you're talking about the locality, the denomination. When the Bible says membership of the body of Christ, it means you're part of a nation. A yes. body is you're a nation. Member of you're a member nation. of that nation. Yes. Um, yes. And often then you yes. see the, the, the cogs starting to turn. Yeah. And that's when, again, we're challenging the, the preconceived ideas of what we think the Bible says that's being wrapped in our traditional view. Yeah. And suddenly yeah. the truth comes to now destable that. And say, actually, you yes. know what? You've not quite understood it in the way you think you've understood. It. Absolutely, absolutely. I wanted to say one more thing on on uh, unity as well, because even on the topic of unity, we might have we might be bringing a level of idealism. Yes, right. Because people sometimes imagine unity to be like this perfect kumbaya moment, kumbaya, right? Yeah. Even between us, and we agree on a lot of things. Yeah. We have disagreements. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and scripture even says, um, you know, no doubt there will be disagreements around you, uh, amongst you to know what God's will is. Mm. So I think even God's people need to get comfortable with a level of disagreement, yes. knowing that that disagreement is about finding God's will. There's a disagreement there. It's about myself and yourself and exactly. what, you know, yeah, the divide pride and ego, yeah, pride and ego. Yeah. But then there's another disagreement, which is trying to just fulfill God's will in the best way. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and, you know, growing up in a family where I have two brothers, a younger and an older brother, and we all have very strong opinions, right? And we, have, we differ on so many things. But that family blood, right, unites us. 
So I kind of very easily get the whole concept of directly disagreeing with somebody and still being united <laughs> with that person. Yeah. And the thing that ties us together is that bloodline, right? That the fact that we're part of the same nation as a fundamental understanding. If our understanding begins with your denomination and my denomination, your group, my group, your pastor, we're starting my from yeah, yeah. We're starting from this divided place, yeah, divided psychology. Yeah. You can never really come to, to oneness when I fundamentally see you as, you know, yeah. you know, other. Other. Right. And I'm gonna yeah. Anson, I want to bring you in on this. You know, one of the things that for me is a, a signifier is this idea in, in, in churches, they talk about being open and welcome, um, but they don't really have an open door policy for their members to leave and to go to other communities. Um, and that tells me volumes about the lack of understanding of nationhood. So it's like, we welcome everybody, but we don't want anybody to leave and go to the other church down the road on a Sunday. That's, that's sheep stealing. <laughs> because that's sheep stealing, right? And that, that, that there begins to show the divisiveness of what David talked about in terms of religion. But Anderson, what do, you, what do you think about that? Designed by Citizens for Citizens, the Nation Builders app is designed for you to get involved with building the society Jesus had in mind. The app is built upon four principles. Connect, communicate, community, and collaborate. Connect. Through your very own digital profile, share your thoughts and ideas through engaging posts, videos and events. Communicate. Develop long-lasting friendships with fellow citizens through your own personal inbox. Receive real-time alerts on new comments, messages, likes and friend requests. Community. Our open-door policy means you can connect with online communities and special interest groups to fellowship together. Collaborate. Our civic spaces focus on cultivating the civic life of citizens through community, education, governance, and enterprise. Don't delay. Sign up for free now at www.nationbuilders.community or download our free Nation Builders app on Play Store. Okay. Um, as the conversation is going on, I, I, I just wrote a couple of things down. And let me kind of quickly read through this with, at the same time, respecting other people's contributions and time, etc. The first thing in terms of denomination and nation, one is that what I call bricks versus stone, I mean, when, when you look at nations like Babylon, nations like Egypt, they were built by bricks. Bricks are all made from the very same mold. There's a sense in which they all must look the same, sing the same songs, behave the same way. Uh, Father's Day, you preach on Father's. Christmas Day, you speak about the birth of And you go through this kind of... Um, Conformity. This kind of... This kind of monotone, this kind of uh, monotonous kind of rhythm, because it's the brick model. Denominations are built on the brick model, very much like Babylon was built on bricks, Egypt was built on bricks. But when Solomon built a temple, which is the model that God wants to build, every stone had to have their same shape and their own unique shape. Denominations, robbers of that same shape, of that unique shape that every stone must possess. That's the first thing I'm going to talk about. The second thing what I call uh, a form of religious imperialism. What denominations have done, very much like colonialism has done, is that it has more or less tried to define our identity for us by a set code that is contrary to the word of God. And so yeah. Out, out of that, you see people acting in a certain way. If you are part of the assemblies of God, you're acting a certain way. If you're part of the church of God and Christ, you're acting a certain way. And each of those, uh, each of those imperialistic enclaves 
define a model of God that is unique to that enclave, which again creates the, the sense of uh, um, polarization and division, etc. Yeah, the third yeah. thing about, about denominations is that is what I call it has created a, a, a kind of Christian apartheid. I think we heard all the other guys talk about the sense of division because Christian apartheid is that everybody basically run into their own little corner. I mean, if at all you've been to South Africa and know what apartheid looks like, I mean, the, the Indians lived in their own little enclave. The, the Blacks lived in their own enclaves. The Whites live in their own enclaves. And there is no mingling, there's no intermingling of the people because that is what religion has done. It has removed the sense of nations coming together and different ethnos with their own unique identity blending together to form a dynamic commonwealth. Religion denies us of that. The other thing about religion is that it has contributed to the pyramidic model. And when I say pyramidic model, it is out of that you have these two extremes. You either have a sycophantic followership and a despotic leadership. Those two extremes become automatically the norm inside of a denominational environment. What are they again? It has, a, it has a despotic leadership and a sycophantic followership. And those extremes will become absolutely uh, contrary and, and, and alien to the patterns of God. The other thing is that it has literally created what I call an artifact. The thing about, about religion, religion basically is an artifact versus divine authenticity. An artifact is something that's man-made. It is not made by God. An artifact is yeah. anything that an artisan takes and shapes for himself. And yeah. so religion is purely an artifact made by a man. I don't care whatever that man is, whether it be the Lutheran church that was crafted by Martin Luther, whether it be the Pentecostal church that was crafted by William Seymour, there's always a man at the head of that initiative. And God, after a while, though the man first heard from God, after a while, the man becomes the primary architect of the organization and yeah. the hand of God is removed off of it. And yeah. so that would be my, the few things. And the final thing really is um, what you have is uni uni unity by uniformity, which is the other damaging consequence of denominations. And I, I just I really, that so important, Anderson, about the unif uh, uniformity and conformity. Um, I just want to bring Charles in because I'm conscious that Charles hasn't said much. So Charles, please come in on this um, and just talk a little bit about your experience and, and the challenges that you've faced and seen within denominationalism and nationhood. All right, guys. Um, I guess a number of things. I was really enjoying the conversation anyhow, man. I was just participating here. But the point is that, let, let me touch on a, a number of things that have been raised. One, the whole idea and what makes denominationalism so powerful? Why do we uh, easily pander to it? Why do we connect easily? Because it, it speaks to our ethnicity. It speaks to our tribal bias. It speaks to our racial bias. Whatever mm -hmm. bias we carry then mm -hmm. gets a justified posture, a place where we can live with it in a manner that makes us comfortable that it's godly. And, and so that mm -hmm. creates, so, so it's easy to, to, we know the tools, they are built into us. We just need the platform and then we can act mm -hmm. it out mm -hmm. perfectly. And I usually joke that most Africans did not receive Jesus, the Christ. They received the Jesus, the white witch doctor. Mm. So he fits the profile. He heals, he does stuff. But the truth is he panders to our ethnicity. 
Secondly, most of the structure of denominationalism came from a, a concept of colonize. Colonized is not only a Western culture. A lot of churches in Africa are colonized by an African culture, either a Nigerian culture or a Kenyan culture. The, the, the ethnic framework becomes the culturing model with which it is brought to you. And we find that you are judged by your violation of the culture more than the violation of the truth. Mm. So, so those become some of the things that make it so powerful for denominationalism to continue to thrive. So the only journey we have is we have to exit coming out of every tribe, tongue, nation. Basically exit that cultural framework mm. to be able to even begin to build the nation. The mm. other issue was the issue of unity. You see, like Ivan said, why those models we've all participated in have failed is because all those models were about gathering. They were not heart conditions. Yeah. They were about physical displays of unity. They were about coming into a meeting divided in the heart, but united in the room. You know, so that became the primary model for function. Yet yeah. unity is unity of purpose, not necessarily unity of gathering. We may never gather, but still function from the same purpose of what we're trying to achieve for the kingdom. Yeah. So, and, and that's where we struggle with the concept you asked earlier about members. The term member in scripture there talks about part. It doesn't talk about registration. You know, member is part of something, not registered to something. Yeah. So those would be my opening thoughts on this. And I, I think, Charles, what you just said there, just to close that up, was absolutely brilliant. Um, because I've, I've seen it even in the context of, unfortunately, in the context of the ecclesia in, at the moment, and we're going to move to that in a, in a minute, um, about this whole sense of we've understood this truth, but we're still implementing it within the context of churchianity. So we are saying, right, we've now got this truth, but the way people attach to us or connect with us still has to be, like you said, through this registration process. Um, which is really very, very artificial. And I think that's one of the challenges um, within the context of denominationalism and when we talk about nationalism or that national development, is the national development is more organic um, and it's in, it, people are involved in the development of Commonwealth within it and the identity grows and springs out of that. Whereas in the artificial environment, it's about where you gather, what you say, when you say it and how you do things. And so the, that's the disparity there. Um, and I like the way Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples, he said, I want you to go, to go, I command you to go to the nations, but we'll do what? To produce fruits. That's an organic thing. It's a thing that's a product of the inward man manifesting outwardly. Whereas often these systems, which are artificial, are outward trying to suppress or yeah. control inward. Um, and that's why we're seeing a lot of the cracks and the failures. So I want to just move now to the issue of church versus ecclesia. Many of us, we've been on calls and we've talked about this, where some of our own struggles um, in terms of once we came to the truth and understanding of the ecclesia um, was the fact that of speaking to other people and the semantics around it and the challenges of convincing people, especially people that were close to us, people that we were familiar with, who struggled with the idea because it was so foreign to them. Um, so I just like, first of all, um, Tim, I want to bring you onto, the, onto this particular point. Um, and just to give us a sense of, first of all, the understanding of the ecclesia and why it's different from the church. Okay, thank you. I, I'm having a little technical thing. You might see me going in and out here. So 
working to get that corrected. Uh, Ecclesia versus the church. You know, when we look at uh, the church, again, I think uh, it was Anderson who just brought up the difference between uh, uh, bricks and, and stones, if you will. You know, when you have the ecclesia, you have a called out people who are called into a purpose of God. They're not just those who are coming around for a nice little meeting of having a little, uh, if you uh, like, lack of a better way, a little kumbaya, kumbaya meeting where we sing a few songs and go home. Uh, the ecclesia actually has, you know, I have been sharing even recently five different critical areas. Number one, understanding that they're there for the purpose of the kingdom mandate. Uh, that's what they, they exist for, they, to carry the purposes of God into the earth. Uh, number two, they are governmental. In other words, they represent the kingdom of heaven. And it's very critical that we understand that only they were authorized to represent the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so those are the first two critical areas that we need to uh, understand. If we understand nothing else, we need to understand uh, those two. Uh, the third area is that it has a single vision. And now I'm getting away from the idea of a, a global vision. But, you know, I believe the ecclesia in England uh, is different from the one in Nairobi in the sense of what its focus is, what God has called it to do, what its uh, reasoning is, but it's the vision of the king for that area and understanding his uh, his 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 instructions, his his assignment for that given area. Uh, it is all uh, empowered by the revelation uh, that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the Living God. That individuals do not enter into this thing. And we talked about membership versus citizenship. You don't just jump on and say, "I'm going to join your local ecclesia." It doesn't happen that way. Uh, it works with individuals who have the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God, and, and, and being able to walk with that and be able to flow with that and being able to move with that. that and then the, the other thing that I often uh, said about the ecclesia is more fluid than the local church. You know, we, we need to have our little purposeful gatherings uh, in a sense that we want to meet in somebody's living room or we want to meet in some sanctuary and we want to do this. But I believe when the ecclesia comes together, they're coming together for a purpose and coming together in such a way that they're able to impact families, impact a community, impact uh, uh, a business, impact whatever sphere they have been given to, to uh, touch. They are there to, to be actively engaged in actually touching those areas. Uh, Whereas the church, you know, they do programs, they do events, they do a lot of things like this. But when they do those things, the whole purpose behind them doing it is, you know, to keep ourselves self-contained, to wear their little badge saying that, you know, this is what we're doing. And they never go any further as for having real major impact in the earth. Right, Tim, thanks very much for that. I think one of the things for me that's, that's crucial in setting the context on this, um, and so I'm just going to build out a little bit more on what you said, is from the historical side of things, when we find that Jesus said, um, you know, upon this, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, you know, 
us knowing the, 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 the point that he said it, which was at Caesarea Philippi, and the issue of regarding the fact that he's going to commission the disciples who are going to become apostles to go out into the earth and to begin to uh, speak about the kingdom of God. Um, I think for me, what's really important there is, is understanding that um, the, the ecclesia at that time would be very, very different from the disciples' view and perspective of synagogues, for example, temples and tabernacles. This was, this was a, 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 in some regards, the ecclesia was seen as a, a political unit um, that took place in foreign countries. You know, the, the core heart of it being called out um, from your, your region to assemble together to make pol strategic political decisions about your region, that would have been a, a real challenge for the disciples because he was taking them to a place that was foreign to them and saying, in this foreign territory, this is the type of way you're going to behave and how you're going to act in terms of representing me on the earth. So Tim, just, just briefly, did you want to just add to that and come in a little bit on that as well? You know, uh, in fact, I'm looking at some notes here that I had here from this last week. Uh, whenever the ecclesia has been called out uh, and understanding, you know, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades should not prevail against it. It should always enter into any sphere where it is assigned with the understanding that it has a, a an edge of militancy about it. Uh, that's something that individuals don't like to uh, discuss because we, we, you know, we have this uh, docile mentality that we're just, you know, we we sing a few songs and and that's it. But the reality is that we need to recognize uh, that we're there not only to represent the king but to bring the influence of that kingdom that we represent into that area. And often when we begin to do that, that becomes a challenge because we we get we push up against the resistance of whatever's already there because they don't want to have to submit to another king. Uh, another king being, the, uh, we, uh, just like it is, is the King Jesus. They will say that they're already doing that, but they're doing it in the context of a, of a starchy, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody can give me a right word. A very, very structured system that really has no meaning other than to maintain and represent itself and keep itself alive that's the only reason it really exists thank you for joining our fireside talk about the kingdom my name is frederick tobin and i hope this podcast has been a blessing to you if you'd like to continue to receive fresh insight into the kingdom click the notification bell to follow us for further information about the kingdom visit our website www.unlockthekingdomwithinyou.com to download your free ebook see you soon